Business Executives for National Security welcomes you to Building the Base. Here, thought leaders and practitioners discuss how we can ensure our shared security and prosperity through shaping the future of the national security industrial base. Your hosts are Silicon Valley defense expert Lauren Badula, along with Ben's distinguished fellow and former head of acquisition for the Navy, Marines, and Special Operators, Hondo Gertz. to Building the Base. Lauren Badula and Hondo Gertz here with today's guest, Catherine Boyle from Andreessen Horowitz, who we're so excited to have. Catherine's currently a a general partner at Andreessen and leads American Dynamism, which I'm so excited to dig into, focused on national security, aerospace and defense, public safety, housing, education, and industrials. So all very important components to the defense industrial base and to the topics we talk about here on our show. Catherine was previously a partner at General Catalyst, so has spent many years in the venture capital world. And was also a general reporter at the Washington Post, which I think is so cool, too. So, um, Catherine, we're excited to hear about what you're working on. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so Catherine, I, I've said it in other podcasts, you know, everybody's background we have as guests is so uh, amazing and probably uncharted when they were, you know, younger in life. Tell us a little bit about your kind of journey to get into this nexus of venture capitalism and national security. And how does a Washington Post reporter come to then running one of the biggest kind of dual use funds we have here in America? Yeah, I always tell people don't hold it against me that I was a reporter, Um, (laughs) but but it's actually a a pretty circuitous path to to venture capital. So um, I, I spent the first 10 years of my adult life in Washington um, you know, was a, was a reporter at the Washington Post, cared deeply about national security, cared deeply about sort of the areas that, that government cares about, um, and was at the Washington Post at a really difficult time. Um, it was right before Jeff Bezos bought the paper. It was a really interesting time for newspapers um, and sort of had this view that I should go out to, to Silicon Valley and learn about how technology, if it was disrupting my industry, I should learn about how it's disrupting every industry. Um, and so moved out to Silicon Valley. And I always describe, you know, I have been all over the world. I've lived in many countries. Um, and when I moved out to Silicon Valley, it was the greatest culture shock of my life because everything I had read about technology and about how Silicon Valley worked, um, there was always sort of this belief that it was deeply linked to the national and, you know, to, to national intelligence. It was deeply, deeply linked um, to the defense world. And when I got out to Silicon Valley, no one read newspapers. No one was talking about defense. No one was talking about the issues that, that Washington really talks about all the time that we're obsessed with there. Um, and so it was really deep culture shock. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of gravitated towards people who were similarly, there was a small crew of people, this was around 2014, 2015, that, that were starting to talk about how defense and, and, um, and software companies and artificial intelligence companies could potentially work together. Um, and so really started digging into those, those circles, um, not only in the, the tech side, but also in the government side. Um, and, and, and sort of built, started building my career around that, realizing that this was going to be a very important thing that I think a lot of people in those early, you know, kind of years where, um, the DOD was talking about it, it was, you know, DIU, DIU was just formed at that point, um, that, that this was going to be an important kind of, uh, you know, initiative going forward. Um, and I think what's happened over the last few years, that's been a pleasant surprise is that. Um, Silicon Valley has really woken up to the fact that Washington and Silicon Valley need to work hand, hand in hand on some of these important issues. And so, um, you know, flash forward to, to kind of um, a, a year and a half ago when I joined uh, Andreessen Horowitz, um, much of much of sort of the impetus for that was the realization that Andreessen Horowitz and, and, and myself, we have been investing in 
many of the same companies, companies around aerospace, defense, national security, but we didn't really have a name or a practice for what those companies were needing. Um, they're not like traditional software companies. They don't have the same inflection points. Um, they, they, they build companies very differently. They have a very different customer set. And so the, you know, we, we founded the American Dynamism Practice mainly because we realized that this next generation of companies are going to be focused on companies that support the national interest. They're going to be focused on very different missions, um, but, but that there's ripe opportunity just given how founders are becoming obsessed with the idea of how do you build um, for the country's greatest problems. Um, so, so, you know, founded the practice. We recently announced that, that we have a $500 million commitment to early stage companies in the category of aerospace, defense, national security, transportation, infrastructure, um, energy, the categories that, that really touch all Americans and, and are deeply tied to the physical world. Such an exciting announcement and an important industry. Um, and, and I'm curious, Catherine, if you could tell us a little bit about how you came up with those focus areas and then what you're looking for in companies for new investments. Like what, what's a priority for you as you're scoping what's out there? Absolutely. So, so I think, you know, the, the part of the impetus for the practice was realizing we had made a lot of these investments prior, but just didn't have a name for them. So, you know, we had investments in um, aerospace and defense and companies like SpaceX and Andrel, you know, companies that, that in some ways have built, uh, you know, next generation aerospace and defense and led to this new crop of founders, many of whom are leaving uh, companies that have already scaled to, to start new companies in and around that ecosystem. So that was that was a part of the impetus is realizing now that the ecosystem is, is very ripe because so many of the people who have been trained um, in these companies to understand best in class manufacturing or to understand the playbook of how you work with government and how you sell to government. Um, you know, there's there's now sort of, I would say, a critical mass of founders who had that experience, uh, you know, back in, in, in sort of, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, there were not founders in Silicon Valley who had that experience. So I think that that's, that's a part of, of kind of how we came up with sort of the sectors that we're focused on. I think the, 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 the important thing to, for people to realize is that like as investors, we don't come out with like a very strong, you know, we're, we're not so didactic about the thesis. We don't come out and say, we want to invest in X and then find the companies. It's actually vice versa. The, the founders really come up with their strong theses of, you know, there, there's this problem that I experienced while I was working in, in uh, the DOD and now I want to go fix it. Or there's this problem I experienced, you know, um, we have a, uh, a founder who was formerly FBI that with a with a issue that he experienced personally when he was inside the FBI where he says, I want to come out and I want to be able to build for that issue. So we see it as sort of a, a founder driven mission and a founder driven movement where then we ask ourselves, what is the type of product that we can offer founders? Um, you know, and as venture capitalists, people often think that the product is capital, which a huge part of that is. But there's also a company building aspect of it, where it's how can we bundle services? How can we bundle a network? How can we introduce our founders early um, to the right people in Washington? How can we help them with playbooks of how they should be building their business? Um, because a lot of early stage founders in particular have very similar questions about, you know, what, what does it look like to interface in the right way in, in, in DC? Um, how should I be thinking about certain types of contracts? Um, you know, is this a sector that, that, that where, the, where the market, like, how do I think about expanding a market if it's a nascent market? Uh, questions that I think founders can learn from each other and can learn from, from institutional knowledge. Um, and so, so that was sort of, I think, 
you know, a huge part of the practice as well is what are the things that we can offer founders now knowing that there's a critical mass of founders who are building in these categories. So Catherine, when I hear hear that response, which I think is super interesting, it's, it speaks to me of a network. And how do you build a network, whether it's a founders or venture capitalists? And, and you wrote an article, uh, I think it was titled Venture Capitalists Should should back America. Are you sensing a network of these patriotic founders kind of, I mean, again, you're all working, competitors maybe working together and then, you know, competing each other, but are you sensing a movement amongst these uh, venture capital firms to network together and, and create this future industrial network uh, that we need to really power the country? Absolutely. And I, and I love that you pointed out something very interesting, which is that, yes, venture capital firms compete, but we also collaborate. Um, one thing that I think is, is in some ways very similar to Washington is that, like, you know, we, we, we all know each other. We play repeat games. Sometimes we're collaborators. Yes, sometimes we compete. But what's interesting about this sector in particular, especially things that are capital intensive, say hardware, software, hybrid companies, um, is that these companies take a lot of capital. And so it's actually in the benefit of companies um, to be, you know, to have collaborative firms that that have worked together in the past that know how to work together, um, and to and to and you know, it's 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 not like a zero sum game where with software there might only be one or two rounds where and then you grow in perpetuity. Um, these 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 companies need capital, um, and so what I do think is really interesting is um, there is a strong cohort of you know investors who care about the mission. Uh, who've invested in companies previously, have seen the story of how, how they grow, how they need to operate, um, what a good executive looks like. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we often tell early stage founders is that there's a lot of good or there's a lot of ways to waste time in Washington. And so making sure that when you come to D.C., you're talking to the right people, um, that you're hiring the people who, who understand um, you know, that, that talking isn't, isn't sort of the output. It's actually getting actions done, getting contracts people who understand what a production contract is versus what a cyber is, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, I think, institutional knowledge that people who've been investing in the space for a long time carry. And so I, I love that you sort of framed it that way in that, you know, we see this as in, in many ways building a coalition as well. Um, there's a coalition of like-minded investors who, who care deeply about the mission, who've been here for a while. But then there's also people who are sort of waking up and realizing that this is a big sector and they want to learn about it. And so we also see our role is educating the broader venture ecosystem, which has grown. Um, you know, when, when, I, when we started investing in these categories, um, say, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, um, there weren't that many people who believed. Um, you know, there, there, it was only really the true believers. Um, and I think part of the sort of, um, uh, you know, m- one of the greatest joys of being an early true believer is that you do get to educate the next generation of not only founders, but also investors who care about the mission now. Um, and so we see that as, as a role that, that, you know, we like to take on, that we very much want to make sure um, that the venture ecosystem and community understands how these businesses work um, and that we come together to support Washington and to support the needs um, of the warfighter in many cases. Because I think um, as much as we can get behind the, the requirements and the companies uh, that, that are priorities for the DOD and for, uh, for America, like, that's why we're here. Well, Catherine, you've made one thing clear, which is just the prioritization of people. And it's something that you've written about, too, that American dynamism starts with people. And I think Andreessen has had such a unique model focused on market development. So not just investing and hoping it works out, but that ongoing mentorship and coaching through tough processes like doing business with the U.S. government. And so I know your team has seen 
that, especially in the time frame you mentioned, 2015 to today, it seems like a lot of the focus has been to spur innovation by maximizing the number of new entrants into the industrial base. And it's resulted in a lot of small awards to smaller companies, really tough traction. We talk about the valley of death. What's your take on the approach so far? And are you seeing any changes in, in direction there? Yeah, I, I, I love this question as well, because I think, you know, I, I sometimes see press releases or quotes coming out of, of various leadership at the DOD that says, you know, we're so proud we've awarded 2000 uh, SBIRs to, to venture, you know, venture backed or interesting companies in the ecosystem. And I, I see that and I just go, oh, my goodness, like, you know, we, we are a massive venture capital firm and we don't have 2000 portfolio companies. And, it, it, and it's it's something that I think is often a misconception. And again, going back to this education component. The education that we do for investors and founders, also, we, we do an equal amount of education for the customer of how venture capital works. Um, and, you know, there's there's a kind of common theme of you don't want to be a spray and pray investor. If you spray across hundreds of companies, at, you, you can't support the ones that are actually doing the important work. And the thing that we've noticed in this category in particular is because there's manufacturing moats, because these companies are built in the physical world. It is very, very difficult to build many of these. But once a company gets through, we we call it like the bottom of the J curve coming up through the valley of death and starts really compounding talent and really compounding contracts, they can grow for a long time. Um, And so I think the thing that that we very much believe is there needs to be, you know, it can't just be one or two venture back unicorns in all in in the sectors that that are are doing all of the needs of government. Like we need more than one winner. Um, But the idea that there's going to be, you know, hundreds of winners in, in, in defense that come out of, of, of Silicon Valley venture and that um, small contracts from the government are going to be enough to sort of move the needle. The thing that we've constantly been pounding the table on is that the government needs to, as uncomfortable as it is to say this, they need to pick the companies that are going to meet their requirements and they need to do it early and they need to do it in a big way. Um, and by early, I'm not saying, you know, they need to do it before products are built or before um, companies have really proven themselves. Um, but I think there needs to be production contracts given to more venture back companies where it is very clear that they have the capital base that they need to scale, very clear that they have the talent, um, the knowledge, and that they've built the products um, that, that can meet the requirements of government. Um, you know, one of the things that I, to, to get on, uh, again, to get on sort of a, a soapbox here, but like, you know, there's, there's things like past performance requirements that exist currently inside of contracts that make it very, very difficult for even companies that have proven themselves that are only a few years old, that have, you know, that have worked with, uh, with parts of the DOD and now want to want to pursue larger contracts. Um, they oftentimes get boxed out of contracts because of the way that, you know, procurement is written. And so I think a lot of the education that we try to do is to say, like, you know, companies are built in Silicon Valley in different ways. These companies are young for a reason. Um, they scale much faster. They haven't been around for 20 years. They've been around for a few years. But look at the products they've built. Look at look at how they're performing. Look at how they're moving, um, and and make judgments based on that. Uh, but also know that you're not going to find two thousand companies um, because the kind of laws of venture capital and and the laws of sort of the ecosystem is that there are outlier companies, and we like to back we like to back the outliers. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, you were outspoken. I think it was maybe two years ago at Reagan, you know, about imploring the the government to actually buy stuff. Uh, you can't just do the early, you know co-invest or shiver if you're not buying product you can't kind of close you can't close these business equations have you seen much change in that i'm I'm sure there's still lots of room room to go but are you getting a sense that that message is getting through 
uh, to the government side and as they struggle on how to best do that and maybe any best practices you've seen from government customers? So, so actually, I mean, I, I'd say we have like, you know, I, it, I think the, the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of instinct of Silicon Valley is to always push for more and to push for things faster. Um, but I actually, you know, I, I think if, if we look across government and how quickly the DOD has realized this imperative and is moving forward, um, you know, it, it is organizations like DIU that have really moved fast and, and sort of helped founders navigate the morass that is the DOD. It is a hard, it is a large organization, it is hard to navigate. And so I think there have been some changes. You know, I, I was recently asked the question, um, you know, there's companies like Anduril Industries, which was founded in 2017, um, that are sort of held up as the beacon of here's a company that that's really scaled. Um, and you know, the, the, the thing that I'm excited about is that there's now more than just one, one company that, that has succeeded in sort of getting through, getting through that process. There are companies that were founded in the wake of Anduril, um, a year or two later where people said, wow, now it's possible. And now I'm going to start a company that are kind of coming out of that Valley of death and getting production contracts and have had successful fundraisers because they, they, they came to investors and said, look, we have serious size contracts from the DOD and we plan to continue, continue having more. And so I think, you know, I, I think the thing that I'm hopeful about is that there used to be this meme that really only Elon Musk can do it, uh, that really only Palmer Lucky can do it. And it's because they're already successful, extremely successful uh, founders in their own right. Um, and now I think there's a, a handful of cases that we can point to and that that it's not it's founders who who kind of came out of nowhere, um, but but worked hard and built the business and recruited the right people. And I think we're just going to see more and more of that. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's important for us to remember that it's only been, um, you know, a year, a, a little over a year since since the, the beginning of the war in Ukraine. I think that really was a turning point for Silicon Valley, not only on the investor side, but also on founders saying that this is a really important mission to build for and 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 that that they want to either leave what they're currently doing or, or found a company and, and and do something new for the mission. Um, and so I think, you know, in the next few years will we'll, we'll tell us what we need to know. But I'm, I'm really hopeful from what I'm seeing that both the government and the founders are, you know, pursuing this this mission wholeheartedly. I really appreciate your optimistic outlook just in terms of the energy and founders lining up to solve these hard problems. And that's how we often hear interest framed. Like they want to solve the hardest problems and they think they lie in national security, defense, public safety, which is really exciting. And we have a lot of founders or um, employees of tech companies that are trying to break in to the U.S. government or really stick it out uh, to grow within the market. I'm curious if you have any advice that you give founders who come to you about entering the market or any best practices that you could highlight. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, the, the thing that I, founders always are looking for a shortcut. Um, and the thing that I, I feel like, you know, whenever we make an early, early stage investment with a founder who, who isn't as familiar with how Washington works, um, and, and I'd say most of the founders we work with are pretty familiar with how Washington works. But if they say, OK, I really want to you know, spend the time in D.C., kind of the, the, the kind of hard lesson they have to learn is like you actually have to spend the time. Uh, you have to make it a priority to get in front of the customer. This is not a Zoom culture. Uh, it's not Silicon Valley where, you know, where you could have one meeting and, and get a term sheet. That's not how it works. Like you have to become a known quantity in Washington Often you have to set up an office in Washington. You have to spend time really understanding the needs of the customer 
you have to meet the customer with respect. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I think is, is a learning from previous companies or early companies out of out of you know out of Silicon Valley, and you know, was was oftentimes people think they know better, um, or it's gosh, it's so bureaucratic. I don't want to work with the bureaucracy. Why can't things move faster? It's like, well, this is how it works, um, and this is how you know understanding that it will be a long process, understanding that it will be frustrating um, and knowing what you're getting into and kind of approaching that with the the right level of respect and also the right level of stoicism because it will be infuriating at times. Um, I think I think that is, that's like step one. Um, and then I do think, you know, spending time, you know, one of, I'd say one of the things that, that we've certainly um, tried to explain to founders is that you can't just spend time with, you know, the senators or spend time with the people at the top or think because you have a big name on your board that, that you've done the work or that because you have an advisory board that looks very fancy, that that's going to get you contracts. Um, you have to actually build the product. You have to spend time with the people who are making the purchasing decisions. You have to understand the procurement regime. It's going to be you know many shots on goal in many cases. You're going to think that you have a, a great relationship with one part of the DOD and it's not going to pan out because maybe there isn't funding. And then you have to go to another customer and you should do that in tandem. Um, and I think like more and more people are realizing that that model um, that that it is, you know, there, there are probably a lot more similarities with with practical enterprise sales. Um, maybe they take a little bit longer and maybe there's, um, you know, a, a different playbook. But but at the same time, there's no substitute for meeting people in person, being on the ground, doing the hard work, having the respect for the customer, um, you know, co-developing with the customer, but understanding that the needs might change. Um, and understanding that you're also dealing with the the you know kind of bureaucracy of Congress as well, um, and that that's an added added issue that will come up that will make it very you know that will be equally frustrating for your customer, um, and they will tell you that over and over and over again. So um, the good thing is that founders I think recognize that the founders who are truly dedicated to this mission recognize that early on, and they know it coming into it. Um, oftentimes they've experienced it at previous companies as well. Um, so, so a lot of that kind of early education, you know, in, in many ways has been done for us. Catherine, when I hear you speak, you know, two words come to mind, respect, right. And resilience. And, and I think for too long, both sides didn't take the time to learn each other. And if you can't understand each other, then you can't build that respect and understand where people are coming from and then understand the resilience either in the product or the service, um, or in the, the business model, so I think that's that's really interesting. Um, what would you say the, you know, while we made progress, we still have w- ways to go. What would be the two or three things you tell uh, a government, you know, buyer procurement folks who's trying to, hey, I want to see new things. I want to get interested. You know, that they have a little similar thing. You know, Silicon Valley is this big, giant you know, collection of things. What would you tell them if they wanted to get smarter on this and and make sure they're, fully cognizant of what's, you know, what's out there. Yeah. So I, I think the thing that I always start with is that the ecosystems are fundamentally different. So there's different incentives. I often think Washington is a series of zero sum games. It's, it's not zero sum in Silicon Valley. I mean, even the idea that like we collaborate with our competitors, I mean, you would never, hear it. it's like maybe, maybe on certain bills you see that in Congress, but oftentimes it is, it is more adversarial in Washington. Um, so I think like just the, the recognition that these are very different ecosystems and they have different incentives. The things that I always stress are Washington likes to believe that it moves fast. Um, it doesn't move fast. It will never move fast. And that's OK. But understanding that startups and especially the best startups are on 18 to 24 month time cycles and that that will never change. 
the longest a startup will go before they need to fundraise if they are doing exceptional things is 24 months. Um, and they need to show, you know, they need to show traction. They need to show traction, not only on the build side, but also on the customer side. They have to, they have to prove to investors that they are going to be a, a big outcome. Um, and so explaining that to, to government, um, I, I think is, is the first thing that like, we're not just being, you know, we're not just being uh, difficult about saying we have to move faster. It really is sort of how the funding model works, that speed is speed is the only way that you achieve the milestones that can be achieved. We can't s- slow our pace down to, to wait for government. The second thing that I think is often a little bit counterintuitive in, in Washington is that the numbers that we are talking about to make a massive business are actually quite small in the eyes of the DOD. So, you know, when, when I talk about like, what is it? epic, you know, series A or series B company, like what are they going to have to show for their progress? We're talking about production contracts that are, you know, in the tens of millions of of dollars, not the billions of dollars that the DOD is very used to dealing in. And so I think in some ways that is a message that is encouraging in Washington, which is that like to show progress in the startup ecosystem, you need to show that that something could potentially become a program of record, but you don't have to have that overnight. Um, And you can do it in a phased way. Uh, but it has to be, you know, that there has to be sort of serious production contracts behind what is being built. And so, you know, the dollar amounts are smaller, which I actually think makes it potentially easier for it, it you know, for, for many in the DOD to take the risks that they think that they're taking on a new startup. Um, but that's another thing that I think we often have to explain, which is this idea of risk. So it is, you know, and this is why past performance requirements exist in contracts. There's a belief that I've worked with Lockheed Martin my entire career. They're, I, I know that they might they might not meet exactly what they say they're going to do or get it to me on time, but I know what I'm dealing with. And there's this fear of the unknown with startups, which is I don't know what I'm dealing with. I don't want to risk my career. I don't want to risk my team. I don't want to risk, uh, you know, not being able to, to to ship the thing that I need very 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 much. And so I'm going to go with what I know. The problem with anything in emerging technology, but specifically things like artificial intelligence, specifically the things that we invest in is that the best teams that can move at the pace needed, that can actually develop new technologies, never work at 50-year-old companies. They don't work at 10-year-old companies. In fact, they're constantly moving on to the next thing and building new companies. And the pace of innovation is so rapid that, that, that we, are, we are always looking to kind of back the thing that is the unknown. And that is where venture is going. That, you know, that's where the, 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 the real venture dollars goes, is to these new companies with these, these teams that, that are excellent. And so I think that's often the, t- the thing that we have to explain is that, you know, making sure that, they, that, that startups can meet production milestones, that they can show that they've built a product that works, that they can compete against the legacy incumbents um, kind of on a level playing field. Um, that, that, I think, is the, the kind of big educational force that we have to make because risk, risk in Silicon Valley and risk in the DOD are two very, very different things. And what we see as sort of sure things are also very different things. So kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, there will always be excellent teams that maybe have only been around for three or five years, but those are the ones who are ultimately going to be able to deliver on these massive programs uh, because they've, they've consolidated the talent that is needed among, uh, among a specific requirement. You talked about 18 to 24 month cycles and how startups and investors are thinking about risk and also this timeline going back to 2015 to now companies like Anderl and others who've really exploded during that period of time. But there have also been many that have exited this year too or decided, hey, it's not worth the investment in public sector. We're going to get out of it, um, which could be a reflection just of what the tech community is going through 
right now, economically speaking. So curious for your take, I think the announcement of your fund was um, so encouraging about just the kind of bullish, bullish nature of investments in this space. But what's your take on the inv- uh, economic outlook and how it might impact the number of players here? Yeah, so I, I don't know that it will necessarily impact the number of, of players. And, and, you know, in, in, in some ways in our, our world too, you know, whenever there's sort of a new kind of tech, you know, a tech shift. So, so like all of the interest around AI that's happening right now is actually something that gets us incredibly excited because it's, you know, sort of a paradigm shift in many ways. Um, but whenever there's sort of an economic reset that actually in some ways, like for early stage investors, that's the beginning of a new cycle. Um, and so, you know, the, the kind of, you know, public outlook right now could be, oh gosh, there's contractions in the market, or maybe there's not going to be as much capital. Um, but, but for, for sort of looking at the history of Silicon Valley, sort of these like booms and busts and sort of the beginning of a new cycle is actually a really good thing. And so the idea that now founders are now emerging around, you know, using artificial intelligence in a sector like American dynamism, where there's just so much opportunity um, and, and where there is frankly capital for early stage companies, um, you know, we're, we're not in the moment that we were in two years ago, but at the same time, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the most exciting companies, you know, have been able to have very, very successful fundraisers. I'd say, um, you know, there, there's categories right now um, where, where capital has dried up or, or is drying up in a way that it's not drying up in aerospace and defense um, or, or companies that are selling to government. Um, in some ways, you know, when there are sort of these contractions in the market, government looks like a very good customer. Um, so, so I actually, you know, from what we've seen from our vantage point, um, there have been many successful fundraises in the past year, despite the economic outlook in this sector that I think bode well, um, you know, for the, the teams that are, that are really delivering product to the DOD, but also the teams that are about to emerge, um, where they see this as a category where they can potentially build something big, um, in the coming years. So I'm going to maybe, Catherine, take it up a level. We've talked about American dynamism a couple of times. And I'd ask you maybe to define that in your kind of words at looking forward. And, and where do you see kind of the future of this nexus um, in your eyes? You know, where, where do you think it's possible in the next five years or 10 years if we can keep the momentum up and we can bring these communities together? Um, what, do you, what do you think is possible uh, for America and our allies, I'll say, with that concept in mind. Yeah, well, so oftentimes people ask us what dynamism means, and it's sort of a nebulous concept. We say it's growth, it's movement, it's opportunity, you know, that, that there's this broader sort of American mission that, yes, is linked to company building, but it is also this feeling of success, this feeling of, of growth and opportunity that I think is sort of inherent inside the American story um, that entrepreneurship is so linked to. Um, like, like that, it, that, it, that it really sort of is, is sort of the, the, the true American story. And it's funny, like when we go abroad, um, and we talk to, you know, leaders in other countries, one of the things that is constantly brought up is how do we build Silicon Valley here? How do we build, uh, this, this, this nexus of, of, of companies? How do we build this ecosystem of innovation in our home country that people recognize is uniquely in many ways, American? Yes, it can be replicated in other countries. We invest, we invest in other countries, uh, but but the the idea of the pace of venture capital and risk capital going into companies that build up um, innovative hubs that 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 is in some ways a, a uniquely American story, um, and so you know that that I'd say is 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 underpinning all of this mission. Um, but in terms of like you know tactically, what do we really want to see um, in the next few years that we're kind of already seeing? Um, you know, one of the things that I think surprised us uh, over the last year that that we're really proud of is that 
uh, you know, we've made over a dozen investments um, in year one of, you know, announcing the practice. And none of those investments were in San Francisco or Silicon Valley. Uh, Silicon Valley is now an idea. It is not a place. It is not the Bay Area. Yeah, not an area code. Yeah, it is. It's the country. Um, and increasingly it will be the world, but, it, but it's, it's the, it, we are seeing so many more ecosystems pop up in the U S. Um, and I think part of that is people realizing that you can build tech anywhere now, um, that there are enough talent. You know, the, the thing that I always love to point to, um, is that, you know, in, in 2011, I think there were four times as many, uh, humanities degrees awarded in the U S and there were computer science degrees. And this is the first year that computer science will surpass all of humanities, um, which says something about just a more technical workforce. That's good for the government because that means that more people who are going into the bureaucracy will be, um, you know, will understand how technology works, will understand what it means to produce uh, and not to consume. Um, and, and, you know, and that's a very different way of learning. It's a very different way of building. Um, and so I think, you know, you, you kind of look at kind of how the talent is becoming more technical. That means that cities are going to become more technical, that the workforces that are across the country um, are going to understand the benefits of, of software and technology. Um, that is hugely important for the country. Um, and it is hugely important to, and this is, again, it's already started happening because of COVID, but I think it will increasingly be so hugely important that, that our top companies are not just in one zip code, one neighborhood in America. Like it has to be more than one place. And the fact that that's happening, the fact that we're investing in companies and, um, you know, in second cities across the country um, is, is really exciting. And I think really, really bodes well for, for, for innovation. Well, on that all encompassing note, I'm trying to refrain myself from clapping because I think it's so exciting. <laughs> your, your, your approach. And I, I think you're too, you know, I, so my partner, uh, David Yulovich, who's helping to build the practice, you know, he lives in New York and Montana. I live in Florida. Like we, 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 we actually like live and breathe this. This is not marketing. This is not, oh, well, we're just investing across the country because it feels good. We're investing in the top opportunities that happen to be all over the country. And we're doing it from other places that are not California. And I think like that's something that we could not have said a couple of years ago. Um, I also say this about Andreessen Horowitz, which I think is, is super exciting. You know, we used to be in, extremely like, loud about the fact that we were based in Menlo Park, California, and that we are based in Silicon Valley and we are a Silicon Valley based firm. And Ben Horowitz, the co-founder of our firm, came out a year ago and said, we are based in the cloud. We have offices in New York, in Miami, uh, in LA. We have offices all over the country. Um, and our team is increasingly scattered across the country um, and, and based, you know, we, we come together in the cloud. And I think more and more companies are going to adopt that approach. We see ourselves as um, you know, a very innovative company, more and more companies adopted it during COVID. And we think that increasingly more and more will, um, and that that will be really good for making sure that there is talent across the country and not just concentrated um, in major cities. And great for the industrial base footprint as well. I think just collaboration across the larges, mediums, smalls helps to, to have that distribution. Um, but Catherine, thank you for sharing your career story. I think the importance of cross collaboration between these different communities and cultures is key. And so to have someone who's spent time in different locations and industries is really helpful here. And, and for telling our listeners about what you're doing with the American Dynamism Fund, uh, because it's, it's encouraging. It's so important. And the advice that you laid out for founders was top notch. I can't wait to go back and, and write that all down because it was really, really helpful. So thank you for taking the time to share all that with our listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Awesome. You've been listening to Building the Base. 
a podcast from the Business Executives for National Security. Join hundreds of senior leaders and executives dedicated to the mission of keeping our nation safe. Check out our projects we're currently working with, important upcoming events, and the many ways you can get involved at www.bens.org.